Good morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay and I will be the, the host for the presentation today. And today is Sunday, February 5th, 2023. Let me give you the share ID numbers for Friday, February 3rd for the uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. That number is 19,921. That's 19921. And for the 10 a.m. meeting on Friday, that number is 19,922. That's 19922. This morning, a vision for, uh, vision for You presents Building an Arch to Freedom. So our speaker this morning, <clears throat> she's going to touch on, uh, she's going to focus primarily on steps one, two, and three and touch a bit on steps four and five as well. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to learn things best when I'm able to connect um, new information with something I already know or something that I've already experienced and sort of like a, attaching it to a, an existing schema in, a, in my mind. And so for me, metaphors are a very powerful tool for learning and, and a strong metaphor helps me to see an idea or a concept from a new perspective. And, and, and good metaphors are inherently simple. And the big book is chock full of them, right? And, and, and even the title of the, uh, of the presentation this morning, Building an Arch to Freedom, right? We, by creating a point of comparison to something I already understand, you know, what happens is, is it, 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 can, it can make, for me, difficult concepts accessible and it can make them memorable. And throughout the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, Bill W. makes a number of sort of construction uh, references, which eventually lead to the building of an archway. And the archway to freedom is built through the implementation of these steps um, as, a, as a way of life. And, um, and, there, and you know, there's some examples, and, and maybe Mo will share, you know, some of those things, but, you know, the bedrock, you know, within uh, the AA 12 and 12, it talks about our admissions of personal uh, powerlessness finally turn out to be the bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. And then um, in Bill's story, the, the foundation, upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. And the cement, you know, in the, uh, the chapter, There is a Solution on page 17, the feeling of having shared in a common peril is, the, is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. And, and, and the cornerstone in uh, We Agnostics, it talks about, uh, it says, um, it has been repeatedly proven among us that among the simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. And there's other references about keystones and the foundation stone, you know, helping others, for example, is the foundation stone of my recovery. So we're, we're offered a practical program of spiritual action that when we follow it precisely, not perfectly, but precisely, we become untethered from a prison of self. And, you know, the question of where am I tethered today? You know, tethering my rope to God for me is not going to prevent me from floating out to places that I, I didn't choose, uh, hard places, sometimes painful places. But when my rope is tethered to a higher power, when I'm implementing these steps as a way of life, I can be confident 
that I'm I'm always going to be secure in, in the choppy waters that you know that, that life presents. And you know, becoming spiritually awakened is it, it's a journey. It, it's filled with a, a commitment to a process, a way of life. It's not a destination that I get to. You know, I arrive with my shiny suitcase. But when my my hope um, is in my higher power, there's there's no decision that I can make that will take me outside of the reach of God's tether. And these steps I have found are a conduit to God's tether. So joining us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope, and, and, and not only finding a power greater than herself, but but how she's built uh, with God's help and arts to, to freedom is Mo H. from California. And uh, Mo is uh, delightful. She's a, a dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous. She's devoted to uh, the practice and, practice and teaching of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. So please join me in welcoming Mo H. to the line this morning. Mo, good morning. Hey, good morning, Larry, and thank you so much for that wonderful introduction and overview of what I plan to talk about. Um, so I want to start with a little prayer here. Uh, God, higher power, I ask that you use me this morning so that I can be of service to others. Help me to be open so that you can work in and through me. So again, my name is Mo H. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Walnut Creek, California. And I just want to qualify a little bit before I begin. Um, I started my timer. I have been in the room since 1989. And I have had many ups and downs during those years. I left the rooms in 96 for four years after a relapse, which was surrounded by guilt, shame, and embarrassment. I had made my relapse a moral issue. I regained all my weight back and more. Then I returned in 2000 and haven't left the room since but have had many slips and relapses until I came to these vision meetings in 2015. And I call myself a serial dieter as I was a dancer and started dieting at a very young age just to please my mother, my teachers, and to look like the other dancers. I have been either on or off a diet most of my life. I'm also a quantity addict and I have no control over the amount of food I eat. I say that my switch for being full is broken. Today, I weigh and measure all my food and work the 12 steps to help me weigh and measure my life. In 2015, I was introduced to this meeting and the study of the big book. I felt like a dried up sponge being watered and slowly coming back to life. I started to comprehend the twofold nature of my disease, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. I was trying to treat this twofold disease with a one-fold solution by dieting. On March 6, 2016, I surrendered again and began working the 12 steps with a sponsor through the big book. I felt a new freedom with both my food and my life as I was turning everything over to God and accepting the outcome. As my husband's health was declining, I was able to be there for him in a kind and loving manner only because of this program and all of you. He passed away in August of 2020 
and my life changed that day. I tried to hold on to my program by continuing to give service, but 10 months after his passing, I had a relapse. My therapist said I needed this to happen as I was trying to stay too busy in order not to feel the feelings. So I gave up all my service positions and sponsees in order to work on myself, and then the feelings started to surface. The feelings of sadness, loneliness, fear, hopelessness. I continued with a sponsor who had also lost her husband two years before me, and I have been working with her and accepting her guidance as we journey this new path together. And so that's my background up to today. So throughout the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, as Larry already stated, Bill makes a number of construction references, um, which eventually lead to the building of an archway of freedom. These references are scattered throughout the first 164 pages, or actually through the first five steps. I wanted to connect them all together in one place so I could have a better understanding of this archway. On page 62, the third paragraph, Bill states, this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed. So what concept? The concept that from hereafter, God will be our director. And so when Leah asked me to do this special edition, I believe it was God giving me the opportunity to do the research of building the archway of freedom and how it applies to my program. We build this arch by working steps one through five. So I want you to picture an arch. An arch is a curved symmetrical structure spanning and opening. An arched structure forming a passageway or a ceremonial monument. And some of the archways I pictured was the Arc de Triomphe in France or the arch used in a wedding ceremony. So if you have a piece of paper there, maybe you can draw an arch in front of you and follow along as I walk you through uh, Bill's construction. First, there must be bedrock before the foundation Next, the cornerstone, then the cement and stones on both sides held together at the top with the keystone. We walk through this arch on the pathway to freedom as we continue to work steps 6 through 12 and carry the message. So here we go, bedrock. So this is the first thing we put down. Before we could put down the foundation, there must be a firm bedrock laid. In the AA 12 and 12 on page 23, the third paragraph, we perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps toward liberation and strength. Our admission of personal powerlessness finally turn out to be the firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. For me, the bedrock could be called step zero, which is being desperate and out of options and putting down all my alcoholic foods. I can't work the rest of the steps honestly if I'm still in the food. I must put the food down first. This is the bedrock of the foundation. 
Bill and Dr. Bob dried out alcoholics for a few days before they started them working the steps, and there was a reason for that. Next is the foundation, which is in Bill's story, step one, willingness through despair. On page 12 in the fourth paragraph in italic letters, which was very important when it was in italics, it is only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. And so the definition of willingness is the state of being prepared to do something. Readiness, eagerness, desire. You know, was I prepared to take step one? What this definition means to me is I must be prepared and ready and eager to work step one. This is the beginning of building my foundation, my willingness to go to any length to arrest my disease on a daily basis. My sponsor asked me if I was desperate back in 2015 when I had a two-month relapse and gained all my weight back. I gained a lot of it back. She asked me if I was willing to go to any length. And she also asked me if I was willing to give up control. At that time, I answered yes to all her questions as I was out of options. Nothing was working for me. It is the pain of the disease which brings me to my knees in despair. I have cried out to God to help me stop binging, both before program and while in the rooms. I tried to make this program a diet so I could lose the weight and fit into my clothes. In the beginning, I was willing to lose the weight but not work the steps thoroughly. I've lost the ability to diet. That is why Bill states, upon a foundation of complete willingness. I spent years in the rooms not being completely willing, therefore not building a firm foundation. Willingness without action is fantasy. I had a lurking notion that one day I could eat like a, a normal eater. I would stare at people's food and wish I could have it. I was told that I was living vicariously through others. That is not complete willingness. If I want a firm foundation, I must have the bedrock in place. That is, admit that I'm done forever and don't want to put up with this anymore by putting down all my alcoholic foods. And next, take step one 100% without any reservations. I admit complete defeat, and my powerless is not only with the food, but it's also with my life. My life is unmanageable when I'm in the food. I didn't want to admit that my life was unmanageable as I looked good on the outside. But on the inside, I was dying, both physically and emotionally. And on page 25 in the chapter, there is a solution on the first par in the first paragraph. It starts out with, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, 
the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it rarely worked in others. Oh, excuse me. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing for us to do but pick up this simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven and have been rocketed in the fourth dimension of existence of which we had not dreamed of. So step zero is mentioned in this paragraph. We had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. My surrender came not through my successes, but through my failures. Every time I relapsed, I learned another lesson about my disease. It is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Once I pick up an alcoholic food, I'm off and running. The one time that I left the room for four years, it was because I picked up a sugary item and that turned out to be a disaster as I did gain all my weight back and more and was a very unhappy person for a long time. Along with my relapses, there's shame and embarrassment, which is my disease talking And this fuels my compulsive behavior even more. As I said, my most recent relapse was in June of 2021, 10 months after my husband passed. I was weak and not working a solid program. I picked up foods that weren't on my food plan, but luckily admitted my relapse immediately to my sponsor and on this line. The shame and embarrassment Again, the disease talking that went with this slip after five years of abstinence pushed me into isolation. COVID magnified that isolation. I had a difficult time reconnecting with friends in the rooms, but slowly, God is restoring me to wholeness again. I've heard that the opposite of addiction is connection. What really helped me to reconnect was attending the OALA birthday party in January. Everyone was so kind and welcoming. What a joy to be there. This was a milestone for me. It was my first trip without my husband's support. That's physical support. I know he's there with me spiritually all the time. So step one for me is about complete surrender, 100%. Surrender means Peace, resistance to an enemy or opponent, give up or hand over. What am I giving up? First, my alcoholic foods. And secondly, my control over both my food and my will. My life is unmanageable when I'm in the food. I never realized that as I thought I just had an eating problem. That is why for years I identified out as I wasn't as bad as you. Now I admit that I'm a compulsive eater and can't do this work on my own. I need you as much as you need me. A quote I heard that surrender is a journey from the outer turmoil to the inner peace. And that is my yearning for inner peace 
I woke, I worked my program every day to have that inner peace and calm that only comes from my higher power. So next is the cement on page 17, paragraph two to three. The feeling of shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us together. But, in, but that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact for everyone, every one of us, is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. So Bill tells stories to teach us. He has just shared the story of the passengers on a great liner the moment after the rescue from a shipwreck, when everyone binds together no matter who they are or what level or what class they are. That is us of Overeaters Anonymous. We come together with a common disease to form a bond of support. I can't work this program alone. I have tried that and it doesn't work. I need you as much as you need me. It took me a long time to accept that I had a disease and that I needed you. I had a lot of self-will and was very self-sufficient. I had trouble asking for help, and I still do today, but it isn't as bad. I see the cement in this structure as connection with each of you and carrying the message to others. I'm going to get a sip of water here. So next we have the cornerstone, which is step two. This is belief through hope. Cornerstone is mentioned twice in the big book on page 47 and 56. And what a cornerstone is, it's the stone that forms the base of a corner of a building joining two walls. In We Agnostics on page 47, paragraph two, the second paragraph, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am, I, or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or he is even willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. This is a promise. It has been repeatedly proven that among us, it has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. So now I am building the cornerstone of belief, a belief in a power greater than myself. This step helps me to move from self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. Initially, when I entered the rooms, I skipped over this step as I was raised in a strong religious environment and followed the rules of that religion diligently. I thought I knew it all because of my background. My concept of God at that time was a judging old man with a white beard holding his black book and looking for anything that I did wrong. And then I was to confess my wrongdoings every week. 
As I am reminded in the rooms, that concept of God wasn't working for me. I had a strong spiritual person in my life who suggested I write a letter to the God of my childhood, thanking that God for being there for me and then releasing that God. My second letter was to write the characteristics I wanted in a God or higher power. I wrote out a job description of this God. That exercise helped me move from my judging God to a loving, kind, always available, with open arms God. God was always there, but I was blocking God's entry into my life with my eating and my willfulness. I've heard this saying, man created religion and God created spirituality. Religion is man telling me how to have a relationship with God. Spirituality is a direct relationship with God. That quote helped me move from a religious concept to a spiritual one. God is as close as my breath and as near as my hands and feet. This program invites me to know God, not to know about God. In We Agnostics on page 53, the second paragraph, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? And in the next paragraph it says, arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck the issue. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. The outlines and the promise of the new land had brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flag, flagging spirits. Friendly hands had stretched out in welcome. We were grateful that reason had brought us so far, but somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. Perhaps we had been learning too heavily, we had been leaning too heavily on reason that last mile, and we did not like to lose our support. And what reason is, is an explanation or justification for an action or event. And I'm telling you, I was quite the justifier. I need to let go of the crutch of reason and trust in the crutch of faith. Self-reliance got me nowhere. All throughout this book and the stories in the back of the big book show us how different people went from insanity to sanity and how they found their higher power. On page 51, top of the page, when many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. This brings me back to page 25, the last paragraph, and this is my favorite uh, quote from the big book sentences. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle of the road solution. We were in position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. Turn left or turn right. One was to go on to the bitter end 
blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other, to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. So in the story of Fitz Mayo on page 56 in We Agnostic, Fitz cries out, If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? And further down the page, it states, thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. So I can't work this program without having that cornerstone of my God or higher power in place. In order that my cornerstone is put into place properly, I need to accept that God is the center of my life and I am in conscious contact with him throughout the day. But because I skipped over this step early on in my program, my cornerstone was weak and therefore I relapsed many times. As I mentioned, step two is about moving from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. This I practice daily by asking God, how can I be of service? Which is in step 11 upon, in the, upon awakening prayer. It amazes me when God directs my day and I listen. I've discovered that God is in the pause. All I have to do is pause and wait for God's nudge. An example of that was a week ago, Friday. I had my day all planned out. I got a call from a friend who just had knee replacement surgery, and I and she asked me for help. My inner response was, I have my day already planned. But then I realized that I could be of service to this person and get out of my own way. That was God's nudge to me, and the day turned out beautifully for both of us. So next, we have the keystone. Step three. Direction through decision. In the big book on page 62, the third paragraph, this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal and we are his agents. He is the father and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. And what a keystone is, it's a wedge-shaped stone at the highest part of an arch that locks the other stones in place. So step three is about putting this keystone in place by taking the next right action. Step three is making a decision to immediately start working steps four and five, which are the actions I take to clear away the wreckage of my past. 
When I look at step three, it seems very simple to make a decision. But if I only make the decision and don't take the action, then I'm not going to progress any further than this step. We've all heard about the one, two, three waltz getting stuck in the first three steps, never taking that action to move on with the other steps. Another phrase, I am the faucet and God is the water. God works through me if I keep the faucet open. How I keep my faucet open is by actively working the rest of the steps. If I do the work, God will give me the reprieve. My own experience with this step was similar to step two, that I didn't put any effort into it. I thought I knew all about God. This step isn't isn't about knowing God. It's about making a decision to go on with the rest of the steps. Over my years in program and with guidance from sponsors and others, I have learned the importance of this step. Step three is turning is a turning point of action. I think a higher power as an expert outside of myself with more experience and know-how than I have. My higher power is not just an expert. He or she is an expert who cares about me and would never do anything to harm me. I make decisions all day long, most of the time asking God for guidance. And now without my husband's input, I need God more than ever. Many things have happened since his death. My refrigerator died. I needed to buy a new refrigerator. And I asked God for guidance in that. I needed a new water heater. And I decided to put in solar because my husband really wanted it and never got around to it. I have car issues, things breaking down, etc. I told my sponsor that I'm playing whack-a-mole. Every time I get something fixed, another thing happens. I'm finding humor in the fixing of the things because I get it done. And I'm surprised at myself that sometimes I fix something that I didn't think I could fix. God is my director. The first prayer in the big book is found on page 59 in the first paragraph. God, I ask for your protection and care with complete abandon. Abandon means to give up completely a course of action, a practice or a way of thinking. I give up my ways of doing things and I allow God to direct my actions. In preparing this share, I ask God for wisdom and guidance and to help me remain humble. It's not about me, it's but it's about carrying the message. And one day I was guided to shut my phone off completely so I would not be interrupted, which is something that happens often. It helped as I let God be in charge. This is following God's plan. The keystone must be firmly in place in order for the arch to be solid. We are now ready to pass through that arch by working steps four and five and continuing the process through the rest of the steps and practicing 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. So the pathway to freedom, in the big book, page 75, in the middle of paragraph three, taking this book down from the shelf From our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. 
Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall pass, through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? And what freedom means is release, liberation, deliverance, the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. So by reviewing these questions, I can see that in my past, my work wasn't solid. My stones weren't in place. I did skimp on the cement. I tried making mortar without sand. The way I did this was by taking step one only in my head and not surrendering 100% with my heart. I wanted to hang on to my control and my need to run the show. As I shared, I skipped over two and three, not making a firm connection with God. I was totally honest. I wasn't totally honest in steps four and five. I rarely looked at my character defects. I would rather look at yours and blame you for my troubles. I made some amends, but not all of them, especially the financial ones. I never learned how to do a 10th step. I did pray, but rarely meditated. I did do some service, but there was usually resentment involved. My archway was very insecure. That is why it collapsed many times with my relapses. Today, I see why Bill built this structure to guide me more deeply through the first three steps and continue working the rest of the steps as described in the big book. Steps one, two, and three must be taken thoroughly, not only in my head, but also in my heart. When I got a sponsor who used the big book to take me through the steps, I started working an honest and thorough program. I had more work to do on myself and my behaviors. My favorite step today is step 10 because it helps me work through my issues that come up daily. And the freedoms that I now feel that Bill talks about are neutrality with my food, a strong connection with God every day and throughout the day, a peace and calmness inside when I work my program, an openness, a freedom to express my opinions and not worry about other people's reactions, and the freedom to make mistakes, freedom to accept where I'm at and not judge or compare myself with others, the freedom to feel my feelings and be honest with them, freedom to accept constructive criticism, And making amends helps me really feel free. Doing 10 steps guides me in recovery toward feeling free and giving services the best. We have now completed steps one through five and are walking through a solid arch on the pathway to freedom. We build on our foundation, stone by stone, helping others. Bill states many times throughout the big book that our real purpose is to be of service to others. Going back to the foundation stone, on page 97, paragraph 1, helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. 
A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. And so what the way I keep the foundation stone in place is by helping others. And in the daily reflection, um, this really helped uh, close this out. The title is A Fellowship of Freedom. This is on page 178 in the book called Daily Reflections. When I no longer live under the dictates of another or of alcohol, I live in a new freedom. When I release the past and all the excess baggage I have carried for so very long, I come to know freedom. I have been introduced into a life and a fellowship of freedom. The steps are recommended, are a recommended way of finding a new life. There are no commands or dictates in AA. I am free to serve from desire rather than decree. There is the understanding that I will benefit from the growth of other members, and I take what I learn and bring it back to the group. The common welfare finds rooms to grow in the society of personal freedom. So where I am today, I have been abstinent since July 5th of 2021 and grateful to be out of the isolation. As I said, I need you as much as you need me. It is a joy for me to pass on what was so freely given to me. I love studying the big book with my sponsees. I start my day by connecting with God and work at this connection throughout the day. My morning ritual of prayer, I have a morning ritual of prayer and meditation. And then I listen to the meeting. That's the 10 o'clock meeting because I'm in California. Work with sponsees, make outreach calls, read and write from the big book, attend virtual meetings, give service, and carry the message whenever I am asked. It is my passion to be of service. I used to hate having to do so much work in this program, but today it is a privilege. I am grateful to be of service to this meeting and to be out of the isolation that was holding me hostage. And thank you, Larry, and all who give service to this meeting. And with that, I pass. Uh, thanks, Mo. <laughs> thank you for your vulnerability and for your wisdom this morning. This presentation is going to be a cherished uh, part of the Vision Archive. So thanks, thank you so much for that. And so we're going to transition to the uh, q and I'm going to give the share ID now, and then I'll give it at the end for Mo's presentation. That share ID number is 19,931. That's 19931, if you care to listen to this uh, later. Um, so again, we're going to transition to the Q&A. Uh, this will give you an opportunity to pose a question for Mo H out in California there. And uh, so you can do that by pressing star one and uh, give me your uh, first name and last initial. Daniel B. Daniel. Maggie A. Maggie. Nancy C. Nancy. Diane C. Diane, and did I, is that Pamela? Tamara. Tamara C. Tamara. I don't know, Tamara, how I ended up with Pamela, but Tamara. And anybody else? Surrey C. Surrey. 
Okay, we got a good starting lineup here. We got Daniel, Maggie, Nancy, Diane, Tamara, and Suri. Hey, Mo, it occurred to me that uh, if we get a Curly, we'll have Larry, Mo, Mo, Larry, and Curly. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> uh, Daniel, let's <laughs> come on. We're not a glumlet, right? So, Daniel, <laughs> you'll start us off with a question for Mo. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning, Larry, uh, and good morning, Mo. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, Mo, thank you so much for your, um, your talk uh, and your presentation this morning. Uh, my question is quick. Um, what, you said something that really resonated with me. It was that your sponsor had encouraged you to you know, disconnect, I think you said electronically. I know that you had put down your service work, um, but did I understand you correctly that you, you know, disconnected from you know, electronic distraction as well in an effort to, to hear, your, to hear the, the recovery? message if that makes sense i'm looking for ways to get more quiet yes all right well um i did not disconnect from electronic stuff when i had my last relapse i did had to let go of my service and thank you daniel for your question i did have let go of my service and my sponsees but i did in order to get quiet with god i have to put down my electronic devices and i want to tell you that I do not look at my phone the first thing when I awaken because I want to connect with God right away. And uh, lately I have been taking quiet time in the afternoon and turning off all electronic stuff. And I am now turning the TV off around 8 or 8.30 and also the phone. So before I go to bed, I have another period of quiet time and I read then. So, yes, I do shut electronic off, but I did not shut it off when I had my relapse. I just had to give up service. So I hope that helps answer your question. But in order to have the pause and to hear God, I can't have electronics around me. And the, the beeping and all of that, I turn my watch off. I turn the phone off. So nothing, none of that happens. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So helpful. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you, Daniel. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Okay. Next up, a uh, question for Mo from Maggie, followed by Nancy. Maggie, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Mo, and thank you, everyone, this beautiful meeting of recovery, healing, and freedom. Um, I would wondering if you would talk um, a little bit more about, you had mentioned, your, um, one of your aspects of recovery is your neutrality with food. If you could talk um, more about that, thank you. Yep. All right. So I don't I talk about food uh, on my meetings. I'm willing to talk to you offline. I'll give my phone number at the end. But I'll tell you a little bit about how I understand neutrality, and it has happened for me. I no longer want or desire or crave uh, those items that used to call me. I no longer look at other people's food and want what they have. Um, I can be at a gathering where there's all that sugary stuff around, especially around the holidays, and it doesn't phase me. Um, That's my neutrality around food. I just don't feel being called by it. It doesn't, the the voices in the head have stopped, which is really a a gift. 
that comes as a result of working this program diligently. All right? Hope that helps, Maggie. Yeah, thank you. thanks, Maggie. Yeah, thank you for the question. Okay, next up we have Nancy followed by Diane. Nancy, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. And oh, Mo, I met you when you were in your last relapse and you are carrying the message and you're still providing service amazes me. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you. I'd like to ask a question, staying with the metaphors here. You mentioned whack-a-mole. And when you were <laughs> in your disease, what did the moles and what did the um, hammer or the wacky thing feel like and do compared to what they look like today? Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Nancy, that's a great question. Um I was using the whack-a-mole as all the issues that are going on around the house, but in my disease. Okay, so, yeah, so the hammer was me trying to control uh, what I put in my mouth, you know, and I'd hit it down, the whack, and the mole would pop up would be the thought, hurt, just one, no one will know. I don't have to tell my sponsor. And then again, you know, get that control back again. You know, hit it again. I'm gonna I'm gonna diet, take charge, I'll get it back, and then the thought. So I, I see the whack as my control and the mole as as my giving in and picking up. So that was good. I never put it together, but that was good. Thank you, Diane. Uh, Nancy, sorry, Nancy. Can you give the Can you give the example of the other side? What your problems are today? And oh, that's right. The other side. Okay, the other side. Well, it's the thought that comes into my head would be the hammer, and then hit, hitting down would be me connecting with God, and the mole coming up is me connecting with God and not letting that thought. Uh, go into action. And what I talk to my sponsees about is the first thought, it doesn't kill me. It's the first bite that does. And I said, I tell them between the hand and the mouth, there is the elbow. And in the elbow is the pause, the God. So the whack would be my making my, you know, the, putting the thought down and the mole would be connecting with God. Thank you. Thanks, Nancy. Okay, next up we have Diane followed by Tamara. Diane, good morning. Good morning. This is Diane G., a grateful recovered compulsive reader from Canada. And Larry, thank you for your service today and thank you for your great share yesterday. Mo, um, thank you so much for opening up your heart and sharing your story with us. Um, my question to you is, if a newcomer comes up to you and asks what recovered means, in one or two sentences, how do you, how do you describe what being recovered uh, means to you to a newcomer? Thanks. Recovered. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Diane. What recovered means to me? Well, I remember when I first got on these lines, in 2015 and I heard that word you know I was kind of taken back 
And I asked my sponsor, I said, what does that mean? I don't understand. And she said what that mean meant was having neutrality around the food and working all the 12 steps. So it means, you know, putting the food down and working all my steps and then continuing to work them in steps 10, 11, and 12. It might be hard for a newcomer to understand that, uh, but, you know, I would probably explain it further. Okay. Thanks for the question. Yeah, thanks for the question, Diane. Okay, next up we have Tamara followed by Suri. Hi, Tamara. Hi. Hi, Larry. Uh, Mo, thank you so much for all your service. Uh, you certainly have been a very important part of of my journey. And um, you talked you, about Jen. in the foundation this complete defeat, not just with food, but with life. And mm -hmm. then, um, like in the keystone is uh, giving up my way of doing things. And I was very inspired when you talked about what freedom means to you. So my question is, can you share a bit how how does it work that the action of doing 10 steps contributes to your freedom with life? Uh, okay. All right. Thanks, Tamara. That's a good question. Yeah. So um, I did not uh, get in the beginning that um, if something troubled me or something bothered me, uh, that I needed to do the 10th step around it. I never was taught in my early days in the program because I wasn't working through the big book how to do a 10th step. But when I, and what I, how I understand the 10th step is when I am disturbed, when I am disrupted, when I am resentful, when I am fearful, when I am, and, you know, any of those emotions that would uh, put me off the beam, you know, off balance, off kilter. And I, I, in order to do that, I have to be abstinent because I don't notice those feelings when I'm into the food at all. I'm numb. I don't notice any of that. So when I am off balance with, this, with, my, with, with my life, something is troubling me, I stop, I pause, and I say, okay, I've got to do a 10-step, and I'll either write it out or I'll call somebody and do it on the phone. I'm not going to go through one right now. And I'll tell you, um, at the end of doing that, and then after the, at the end, what I like, and I didn't know this either, is to finish a 10-step, you have to do a 12-step and make an outreach call and not talk about what's troubling me. Let's say it's one of my children, per se. You know, they're, they're making, you know, they're, they're uh, well, for instance, my daughter wanted to spend the weekend with me, and I had to tell her no. And it really upset her, but it also upset me because I usually never say no, but I needed the house to myself to feel the freedom. So that gerbil that goes on in my head, the thought that's going around and around and around and making me crazy you know, I wish I, I wish I could say yes, but I said no, and da 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 da. da. Then I do a tenth step on it, and what happens after I make the twelfth step call is the freedom comes when that thought calms down, when the thought isn't going around in my head, and 
I said to my sponsor once, what if it doesn't go away? What if the resentment doesn't go away? What if the thought that she said, do another 10 step? So the freedom in the 10 step is to lower the anxiety and all that's going on in my head. I hope that helps, Tamara. Thanks for the question, Tamara. Okay, Siri, before we go to you, just a reminder, we, we're gonna open it up if there are more questions for Mo, um, right after Siri's question. Good morning, Siri. Good morning, Mo. Thank you so much for your share. Um, you mentioned in the beginning of your share uh, about how you were recognized, how you recognized that you were living in fantasy to a certain degree, and, and um, I wanted to know if you could elaborate a little bit more on on that, on noticing that you were not in the program, but rather fantasizing about about being in the program or being in the food. I'm not really sure if you could sort of elaborate between fantasy and reality I, and entering into I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember I had a quote about something is, is not, I can't remember my quote. I'm looking back here to see if I can find it. But anyway, um, yeah, when I'm, when I'm thinking about the food or when my life is unmanageable, but, yeah, fantasy would be like uh, I said that I looked good on the outside, but I was dying on the inside. That's fantasy, like, oh, everything's fine, you know. And it really, I am going crazy on the inside. I don't have that inner calmness that is my yearning, my desire in this program is to have that that peace and quiet inside my body. And so when that isn't there, but I tell people, oh, yeah, I'm doing fine. I mean, like, you know, after after my husband died, you know, I really had a difficult time answering the phone and picking up the phone and calling people because I didn't want to cry. And I was just living in the fantasy that everything would be okay if I didn't talk to anybody. Well, that wasn't true. Everything got worse, to tell you the truth, and it was really hard and it was really painful. But, um, yeah living in the fantasies, just, you know, thinking I'm doing the steps 100% or, or the step one 100%. And I'm really not because I'm, you know, fantasizing about that food or whatever it is. I don't know if I'm answering your question. I, have, I wish I could find my quote. Hey, hey Mo, I, I made a mental note. I'm bad at taking notes, oh, but I did make a mental note. You? Quote. you said... Yeah, you said, see if this helps, you said willingness without action is fantasy, something like that, right? That's it. Thank you, Larry. Yeah. Okay, you, yeah, you okay. I knew willingness without action is fantasy. So, yeah, so willingness, willingness is me being willing to work this program the way it is written in the big book and not to balk about it. But if I don't take the action, and as we built that arch, once doing steps, one building the bedrock, the foundation, and all of those pieces, the cornerstone, the stones, the cement, and the keystone, if I don't put all of them into place, uh, 
and and then take the action after I make the decision in step three to work four through 12, then I'm living in fantasy if I'm not working those steps and getting that that archway in place. And, uh, and I think in the beginning when my archway was wobbly, uh, I was living in fantasy because I had a lurking notion in my mind that I was going to be able to eat like someone else. And that wasn't getting me anywhere. I, you know, I had a sponsor say to me once, I said to her, God, I wish I could eat like normal people. And she would say, well, the way you're eating is the way normal people eat. And I mean, it just blew my mind. And she was right. Normal people eat three meals a day. They don't graze all day long. So I hope that helps. Surrey, thank you, Larry, for helping me. <laughs> you bet. Um, thanks for the question, Suri. Okay, uh, if you have a question for Mo H, uh, press star one and, and, uh, and jump, jump. Gabriel G, I'm sorry, Gabriel H. Christina okay, J. Gabriel. Christina, Marla. Pete. Marla. Uh, Marla, you got you, Marla. Kelly, AKA okay. Curly. <laughs> hey Kelly. <laughs> Good morning. Okay, so I got Kelly. Anybody else? Denise C. Hi, Denise. Gotcha. Okay, that's a good group here. Uh so here I here's what I heard. I heard Gabriel, Christina, Pete, Marla, Kelly, and Denise. Gabriel, why don't you get us started with the question for Mo? All right, Gabriel H. from Florida. Well, I got to tell you, this has been, every meeting is so great in a vision for you, but this has been, without a doubt, top of the mountain, exploding, volcanic, erupting revelation <laughs> for me. Wow. Uh, and and I got to say, I'll be listening to this over and over and over again and taking notes furiously. I've only been here three months, and the journey has been like jumping on a train that's already going 65, so it's been a dizzying speed. But hey, today has been the... I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm so yeah, sorry. No, the question. So we're, the, yeah, what's the question? You bet. The question is this. The willingness without action is fantasy. Uh, this is the dilemma for me. How do you get to the, uh, you know, step three reality of the true willingness so that you, it is an action because that's the problem I find is the action part to do what you're reading, do what you're hearing, you know, apply everything. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. How does, how do you get to the, am I hearing that right, Gabriel? How do you get yeah. to that action? So it's not, yeah. right. There we go. Okay. Mo. All right. Well, I'll do my best, Gabriel. Um, I have to work steps one, two, and three completely from my heart. Um, and the action is simple. It's starting step four, making making those columns, doing my resentments, writing them all out, and then looking at my part. This is action. I, you know, I didn't want to look at my part. You know, I remember my sponsor said, you know, do all the columns, but the last one, 
And, you know, and I did, you know, that was easy to look at the resentment and why I resented the person or, 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 and then the fears. But the last column was my, my part, which was where am I being selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and fearful. And I got to see a lot about myself in working a step four, doing the resentment form, the fear form, and the sex conduct inventory form. That is all taking action and looking at my part. And then step five, another action, giving it away to my sponsor. And, you know, not, you know, not holding back on doing that. And one of my sponsors said to me at the end of step five, if I haven't if she said, if, if you plan to take anything to the grave with you that you haven't shared, you haven't completed step four. And I had to go back and look over my step four. It says after you do step four is to take time and to pray to see if I've left anything out. And I asked God to reveal that to me. Now, it sometimes doesn't happen immediately it may happen down the road. I've had amends that I have made down the road that I didn't remember before, and especially the financial ones. I've blocked uh, the stealing from grocery stores. I blocked that out. So that's what that means. Uh, willingness, you know, without action is fantasy. If I don't make that, I actually have to do the footwork. And sometimes it's hard. It's not so simple. But I do it. I When my sponsor says, you know, I suggest this, this, and this, I will follow her. You know, I asked her the other day. I said, because I've been committing my food, you know, seven days a week, and I was trying to cut back to five. And she said, no, I commit to my sponsor seven days a week, and I also call my sponsor seven days a week. I said, okay, I'll do it. I mean, if it's only a, you know, two-minute check-in on Saturday and Sunday. So that's action. We work the tools. And I've heard that the tools are the handrails with which we work the steps. So the tools help us work the steps. All right, Gabriel, I hope that helps. Action Thanks, and more Gabriel. action. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, next up with the question, we have Christina followed by Pete. Good morning, Christina. Morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. Hi, Mo. Love you so much. Hi. Your talk you. was incredible. And, um, you know, death is an onslaught of a an incredible tidal wave, and it knocks mm. us to places we've never, ever expected. So I think you did the best you could. I'm not on here to tell you that, but knowing a little bit of your journey, I feel you did the best you can. My, my, could, my question is... Um, as you were going through that and as the tidal wave began to roll over you, um, were you still working your program just as hard? And did you find that you, when you took your trip um, and you found yourself in the relapse uh, cycle, I don't even think you realized it till after you got back, did you, enge- did, you, did you realize at some point that not only did you have a mental blank spot around the food and what you were doing, but you were having extreme mental blank spots around your emotions and working the program. Were you working it while you were there thinking you were clearing everything out, but still there was lingering stuff that 
kind of just threw you in the hole. Thank you. Oh wow! Thank you very much, Christina. Yeah, it it is a it is a tidal wave that I you know I, one doesn't expect. Um, so uh, working my program around uh, my husband's death, the program that I worked around my husband's death was to to keep giving service and to give a lot of service and what that did for me was keep me out of my feelings uh, for the first 10 months. Uh, of course, there was a lot of paperwork to do and a lot of closing of this and opening of that and all of those things that you have to do after one passes. But also with my program, it, 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 uh, the archway was getting wobbly. Um, I was angry. I had all those emotions. I was angry that he died. I was angry uh, that he didn't take care of all of that stuff. And so um, God was kind of in the distance and wasn't as close to me because I wasn't taking time for that. And then when I went on my trip with my kids, um, I was weak. I was physically weak. I was recovering from pneumonia. and, um, And my program was weak. I thought I thought I was doing okay because while I was there I was weighing and measuring my food but I was numb to the fact that there was food in that condo that was calling me and because I wasn't working a strong program at that time my hand went into a bag of stuff that isn't on my program that isn't on my food plan. And I kept lying to myself saying, oh, this isn't bad, this isn't bad, you know, da, 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 da. And so what happened is um, that brought me to my senses and it like woke me up from maybe a sleep I had been in since my husband died, maybe in a fog. Yeah, there is a fog since he died. And that uh, relapse, as I said in, in, my, in my story, that my relapses have all been learning lessons, that woke me up to, and my therapist had helped, to I need to feel the feelings. I didn't want to. I wanted to escape them. And um, yes, I started to feel the feelings and feel the pain and getting back on track and realizing that I really needed this program more than ever because I I was alone now and it was just me and God and my kitty cat. So I hope that helps, Christina. I, I you know I it, it's a tough subject to talk about. Christina, thanks for the question. Okay, next up we have Pete followed by Marla. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for taking the meeting. Appreciate your service. And, Mo, thank you so much for your deep and heavy presentation. It was, um, it was very good. I have, a, I have one question in two parts. So you mentioned in step 10, the very first thing we are supposed to do in step 10 is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And my question is, can you elaborate a little bit more on how you're growing in understanding and effectiveness? And then the second part of that question is, can you talk a little bit more about how you're experiencing neutrality with regard to things other than food in your life? 
Okay, thank you, Pete. So growing in effectiveness in, in using step 10 is step 10 is, is keeping me alive to the fact that life happens and, and keeping me aware to that fact that, you know, things happen, uh, emotions happen, life events happen. And, you know, that would have been a good thing probably for me to do around my husband's death. And I didn't even think about it. You know, I went off into a daze. So the growing in effectiveness is when I practice a step 10 and, uh, and, and reach out and talk to someone about it and, and sometimes get their feedback and then make this 12 step call. Um, it really helps me move on, get back on the beam and move forward. So that step has just been a very powerful tool for me. And then, oh my goodness, what was the second part of the question? And the neutrality, Pete was asking, other than oh, the, the food. Um, yeah. Other than the food. Oh yeah, neutrality in life. Yes. Yeah. So there, step 10, again, come back to step 10, helps me with neutrality in life. Again, when I'm off the beam and what I mean by neutrality in life is I have an inner peace that comes to me. It doesn't happen all the time. I'm saying I'm not a perfect person and I don't do perfect step 10s and my program isn't 100% perfect, but I work it the best I can every day and more now than I have even in the past. And now even since having done this talk, you know, I can visualize that archway and think about, well, what's weak here? You know, is my foundation weak or is my cornerstone week or is my keystone week whatever um the neutrality in life is um when i am upset or when i am uh, sad i need to do something about that i mean it's uh, and what i've learned about my feelings in grief is to give them space so when i have that a loneliness or that sadness that does put me off the beam, but I need to give it space to be. I don't need to push it away. Let it be. And then in that pause, then God will come in there. And that God will balance that feeling out, and that gives me neutrality in life. So I hope that helps, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Okay, Marla's next, followed by Kelly. Marla, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Mo, thank you so much for your beautiful share and your vulnerability. Um, I met you in New York at the conference a few years back. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, hi, Marla. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> My uh, question is um, regarding your step tens, um, do you have – do you, is there a difference in your mind between when you just need to, quote, like call and talk to a friend about your pain or your feelings versus an actual like protocol of when you need to do a process of step 10, looking at character defects and so on? Do you distinguish between the two? And if if not, what would your average step 10 be like you know do you fill out a sheet people do them different ways i guess that's what i'd like to know thank you okay all right um uh what was the first part of your question marla do you, 
do you differentiate between like when you just need to call and talk about your feelings, like, oh, I'm sad, I had a bad day, versus a, a sad yeah. fish yeah, that looks for defects and so on? Okay. No, I um, when I do a step 10, it's really on a definite issue that's going on. Um, if I just want to talk about my feelings, the first thing I will do with my feelings, with, as I said just before, is give them space. And if they're really troubling me, I will write about my feelings. And then if I need to call somebody, I usually call my sponsor because she understands me because she also lost her husband and and so she gets it. Gets it. Uh, but the way I do a step 10, my, my format, which is right out of page 84 in the big book, if we go there to page 84, it gives us directions. It asks us to name uh, the, the issue that's going on. Um, and then, um, you know, why I have that. And it's not very many words, you know, or name the person and then name whatever the reason, whatever it is. And then where am I being selfish, dishonest, resentful, and fearful? And I have to go to my part. You know, I am selfish usually because I want to control somebody, some place, something. I want to be in charge. I want to be the director. Um, but I'm not. And then I say a prayer, please, God, remove my selfishness. And then dishonest. Where am I being dishonest? Well, am I telling a lie? Am I omitting the truth? Am I not trusting God? Uh, am I um, not accepting the person as they are? And recently I've heard, am I people-pleasing? You know, if I said yes to my daughter yesterday and she came and I was all off the balance this morning, that's people-pleasing. That's being dishonest, not telling her the truth. And I, you know, stuck to my boundaries and said, no, please, God, remove my dishonesty. Resentful. Who or what am I resentful at? Name it and then say, God, save me from being angry. Thy will, not mine, be done. And I am resentful, blah, blah, blah. You know, you say the sick man's prayer. So-and-so is spiritually sick as well as myself. Help me show him or her the same Tolerance, pity, and patience, I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. And then it says, how can I be of service? And usually when I answer that question, I answer my problem. You know, I can be of service by being honest. I can be of service by turning my phone off or whatever to myself. Um, and then the last one is dishonest, is fear. And what is my fear? Well, my fear is my daughter isn't going to like me when I say no to her. And, um, you know, and we have two fears or three fears, fear of not getting what we want, the fear of losing what we have. And the, the third one is, I think, from a big book, Clumper, the fear of being found out. Please, God, remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. And that be is an adjective, not do. What would God have me be? God would have me be honest and loving and kind and tolerant. And my daughter still loves me, and she didn't come. She did fine. So that's my formal. And then I ask God to remove all these defects of character, and I assume he will, and then I make my 12-step call, and I don't talk about the situation. So that's my the way I do a 10-step. It's short. I know there's other ways to do it, but that's my way. 
Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Marla. Okay, we have Kelly followed by Denise. Kelly, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, I I have three questions, but they're easy, I swear. Um, (laughs) I I know. So um, how do I hear this again? That's one. Um, And then I forget the second one. But the other one was, can you explain to me, and thank you, this has just been wonderful, and I love the all the um, similes and, and metaphors and the arch. Can you explain mm-hmm. to me this the example of neutrality with food? You said about pausing and the elbow being the pause. I need that, okay. and I just need to hear that again. I'll review Thanks. that. All right, and the, the way you can hear this again is you, you dial back to the recorded line, this is the live line. It's a, a little bit different phone number. Use the same access uh, code, which is uh, eight seven whatever it is, and it's all on the on the website. And then the share ID for this share is one nine nine three one, which Larry just gave us. But I'm sure he'll repeat it at the end. So that's the way you'll hear it again. It also, will eventually be on the website probably in about thirty days. All right, and neutrality. Uh, uh oh god i forgot it neutrality with what uh what was the last question hey, what was the what was the part on neutrality i didn't catch it either <clears throat> yeah. you want to come back on um with, with your food and the elbow that metaphor oh with the elbow, elbow and- the elbow the elbow metaphor okay yeah i came up with that myself you know you have the thought in your head and i said the first thought you know, it won't kill you. It's the first bite that gets me back into the disease, you know, and then the allergy of the body and and then the obsession of the mind. It goes on and on. But anyway, so I have a thought in my head and then it's, you know, it's okay to have that bite, have that food, whatever it is. So with my hand, I pick the food up and between my hand and my mouth is my elbow. The food isn't going to go into my mouth if I don't put my hand to my mouth. And the only way it goes in is my elbow has to bend. And I've discovered that there is a pause there. There is a split second. And if I am working my program, I am conscious of picking that food up. And oops, you know, I have neutrality, so I don't pick the food up anymore. But the elbow is God, is the pause. It's where we we connect with God. You know, God, I don't want to do this. God, I ask for your care and protection with complete abandon, our first prayer. God, save me from this demon. All right? Thanks, Kelly. Okay, so it looks like perhaps our final question is going to come from Denise. Denise, good morning. Good morning. Uh, there you I'm are. sorry. Yes, I apologize. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, Mo, um, thank you so much for your presentation. It was absolutely wonderful, and I also will be here listening to it again. My question is: um, You stated that you also had um, a hard time, I believe, um, caring about what people thought of you. 
And so I was wondering how you were able to overcome that. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> coming from a, a dancing background, being on stage, it was very important to um, look good, uh, to have a right-sized body, uh, to absolutely be perfect. I, I performed with my brother. We were a team uh, for from the age of, well, I started dancing when I was three, and he quit when he was 16, so I was 13. Uh, we stopped being a team then, and, you know, to have that to to have that presentation of always being on. And then that was carried through with my mother. It was always about looking good, how we look good. And what we said in the house was to stay in the house. Nothing went outside of the house. So we had this, you know, appearance of looking good. And today, today, I am at peace with how I look, with my body, with um, the food that I eat. I am very content with my three weighed and measured meals a day. And, um, and I know with God at my side all the time that I don't worry about appearances um, and how I look to others. I dress, uh, as it says in the big book, I dress becomingly, I act, uh, it's a prayer, I dress becomingly, I, I act courteously, and, and it, I, I don't think about other people's um, uh, reactions to me. In fact, you know, when I get uh, constructive criticism, and I said that in one of my freedoms, I'm okay with it. In fact, I say thank you. If someone said, in fact, you know, my daughters are, are great at saying, mom, you're not listening, you know, and I, I thank you. You're right. I'm not. I am being distracted. And I have learned uh, with all of them that when I'm talking with them, I set the, put the phone down, talking about electronics with the first uh, person that asked the question. I put the phone down, upside down, turn it off. And I look into their eyes. So, um, but as to how I look, it's it's personal. You know, I feel very comfortable and at ease with myself. And I'm grateful for that. Now I pass. Oh, thanks for the question, Denise. I guess we have time. Is one more person have a, a quick question for, for Mo? Wow, Mo, look, see how you uh, you just were so thorough. <laughs> it was a beautiful presentation. <laughs> I <laughs> quieted you. them all. I, really... I put them to sleep. <laughs> no, no, no. It was wonderful. Yeah, thanks so much for getting up early out there in the Pacific time zone here and doing a wonderful job. Just, yeah, thank uh, you. We're so appreciative. You bet. Thank you. So I'm going to yeah. give the, uh, the, sh the share ID number again for Mo's presentation. Uh, get your pen ready here. That share ID number is 19,931. That's 19931. 
And so we are going to, we'll get Mo's uh, contact information at the end of the recorded portion. We're going to now close with the reading from the, uh, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You'll find it on page 164 in a chapter called Vision for You, kind of our namesake of this group here. So our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.